Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. I do want to thank Daniel uh, for the opportunity to share this morning. I did boldly just go, I was like, can I do this? I have been wanting to do this for a long, long time. And I do want to thank you for the encouragement that everybody who has come up to me and said, you know, you have way to go. So thank you very much, even if you don't know me that well. I have wanted to share this message for a while. It was um, 16 years ago that the Lord used the Lord's Prayer in my way in my life in a very, very, very profound way. And I have never forgotten the lessons from that time. Um, And I do hope to encourage in your prayer life this morning and just to show you or, or describe to you some ways that my prayer life changed many, many things in my life and um, in our marriage at the time. Um, It was a very difficult time in my life. Um, I woke up one morning to a very normal day, and by the end of the day, the bottom had fallen out from my world. Um, As I came home from school, I felt that the Lord sent me home early. I was in seminary at the time. I was taking evening classes, and I felt the need to go home just felt the need to go home. It's like, I need to go home. I'm halfway through this class, but I need to go home. And I walked in on Michael and my best friend in our house. And I have Michael's encouragement and actually admit um, encouragement to share this this morning, share this with you this morning, just to give you some backdrop of where, why I'm sharing this message and what happened. This message is not about that. That's Michael's story. That's his testimony, and he can tell you that. But this is about what happened afterwards and how the Lord used this prayer to heal us, to heal me, and to heal us in that time. Um, I was halfway through seminary, so as a seminary student, I had a pretty robust prayer life, a pretty robust quiet time life. I came up every morning, went outside with my Bible and my commentaries and my devotionals and my Christian music, and I was very used to doing that. So in the aftermath of this event, I gathered all my stuff, went outside, It was July in Phoenix. It was warm. Um, And uh, expected the Lord to just do some miraculous healing and comforting. And all the Bible and all my devotionals and all the music, they did nothing for me. It all came up absolutely empty. And all I had the strength to do and say was help. Help me. Help. And as I'm screaming in my head to God, why, what is going on, what happened? Somewhere in the recesses of my mind, the Lord's still small voice said, pray the Lord's prayer on your knees. And my first thought is like, well, what is that going to help? That is not going to do much. But I, and as I'm in the habit of doing, I argued with him for a few minutes and finally got on my knees and prayed the Lord's Prayer in the hopes that something would happen. And 
as I um, prayed it, I know that all of us know this prayer by heart. We had a pastor in Phoenix who said that everybody knows scripture. People say that they can't memorize scripture, but we all know scripture. We all know the Lord's prayer. We know scripture. And for some unbeknownst reason, we all know it in the King James Version. So <laughs> that happens to be the one that we all remember, right? So what I want to do is, is read that version this morning and before I unpack how the Lord used this time. So I'm actually going to read it in the King James Version. And I think I had, a, did I give you that scripture? Yeah. Um, to tell you, this is how I started my prayer life on the morning after our tragedy. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So before I dive into my lessons learned, um, I wanted to say that theologians believe that Jesus gave us this prayer as a model to pray, not necessarily to ask for us to do it verbatim, which we can do, and it's amazing, and I still do, but more like a, this is kind of an outline for a good, for a prayer life. And as I went through this prayer in the next 18 months, because I literally did this for 18 months on my knees every single day, as I felt that that was what he was asking of me, I felt encouraged and I needed to change some of the wording in this prayer to fit my needs at the time and for me to learn some things uh, about God, about myself, and about his kingdom. The changes didn't necessarily happen in the order of the prayer, but I'm going to share them with you in, the order, in that order. They happened in the order that God needed them to happen. And that was obviously his plan and his ways. But rather quickly in my pain, I realized that even though we start the prayer, our Father, Father but at that time I needed to say, my Father. I needed to know that he was my daddy that he knew how many hairs I had in my head, what the original color is, that, that he intimately knew my pain, that he was able to comfort me in that, that he was able to hold me. All those amazing things that fathers do for your children, for their children. And we may not have had that or have that currently in our earthly father, but I needed to know that my father knew what I needed, and I could trust him for that. And I hung on to that for months. I kept saying, my father, my father. And in time and with healing, I realized that there's a reason Jesus says, our father. Because we are all a part of a bigger whole. We are sisters and brothers and a family in Christ. And as families, things go wrong sometimes. And we all disagree, we sometimes disagree, but we are still family. And I learned that this is my identity. I am a child of God with brothers and sisters in Christ. La familia, we are family. I'm not Italian, but <laughs> way not Italian. 
We are taught this concept about the family and the brothers and sisters in Christ when we come to faith, but it takes something, either being completely brought into a family where you fit really, if you definitely, if you haven't had a good one, that you feel that this is family. Our, we are family. I have brothers and sisters in Christ in India that I don't even know of. And it's beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. But also I realize that unlike our earthly fathers, God is infallible and holy and to be revered. Uh, yes, we can come to him with our junk, and I was definitely coming to him with my junk at that moment. And there's one author that says we can come to him with one hand in the donut box. And that he still accepts us, but we need to come to him with revere and awe. But it is a very tough balance to keep in perspective. And I think it's interesting that Jesus says, hallowed be thy name, right after he encourages us to call Jesus or call God our father. And it's Abba in Hebrew and Aramaic, which means daddy. Or it's a very familiar way of saying daddy. I had a... Um, privilege to go to Israel years ago, and we were hiking to these falls, and there was this little girl who had fallen and goes, Abba, Abba, and it was so touching to hear somebody call their father Abba, which is what we're taught to call God. But anyway, um, so that is a very tough balance to keep in perspective, and Jesus says, interestingly enough, Jesus says that he says, and I always said that. So after a time, my curious academic mind took over, and I wanted to know, so what does hallowed really mean? What does it mean for God's name to be hallowed? And the newer translations say, glorify your name. And that's correct. That is, we, it means, Lord, glorify your name. However, the larger question became, why am I asking God God's name to be glorified as if it was something out there. Glorify thy name. Where, what am I doing today that glorifies God's name? In this instance, today, in my pain. When all I could do was breathe. So I asked God to help me, to show me where it is that I can glorify his name today not just singing holy, 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 and that's all well and good, and we do that when we do that from the depths of our hearts, but how do my actions show in this time of crises that I'm trying to glorify God's name on earth? And what does that actually even look like? But Jesus provides us that answer, because the next verse in our prayer tells us exactly how to do that. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So generally it's agreed that the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' inauguration of the kingdom of God on earth. His message is both about discipleship, about how to live in the kingdom of God, and an invitation to be a part of the kingdom of God by professing belief that Jesus is the Messiah. And as a professing disciple at the time, I had to look at my life in my circumstances and say, how am I doing in this discipleship then? How am I doing with all the things that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount? Am I being salt and light? Am I willing to go with my sister and my brother the second mile if he asks me to go one mile? Was I 
Was I willing to hand over my cloak when someone asks for a tunic? Was I turning the other cheek? And let's face it, we can often make very excuses for ourselves for not doing these things if we're hurting, tired, burnt out, or feeling like a victim, which is where I was at the time. So needless to say, my answer was, mm, yeah, not doing a very good job at this today. So my prayer changed from your kingdom come to show me, show me today where I can usher your kingdom into my small corner of the world and where and how do I do your will today? And Daniel actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago when he said um, that we to look for somebody to bless every day. Ask God to show you where to bless somebody every day. And, and that actually became something of a mantra for me. And the heat was really turned on when God asked me to find ways to bless Michael. And when God asked me to pray for my friend. And Jesus encourages us to love your enemies, to do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. That's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And however, as God moved me, reluctantly at best, to finding ways to bless Michael and finding ways to pray for my friend, uh, it was a very healing time for me. He used that time to heal my heart. Um, and years later, years later, I found out that the time I committed 30 days, I felt that that's what he was asking of me. He gave me a scripture and said, pray this for your friend for 30 days. And I did. And I found out later that that was a very, very pivotal time in her recovery and her healing um, and the Lord had used that. And needless to say, even years later, that, that helped my heart. He works all things for all our good. Not just mine and yours, but everybody's good. And it's amazing how that works out. And as if things were not hard enough at the time, Michael had just launched his business. And if you've ever done that, you know that your first rear tends to be kind of rough. You're not making a lot of money. And we had not really planned that very well. So for months, we teetered on the, the brink of bankruptcy. So give us this day our daily bread. For me, turn to, Lord, let us keep our house and the lights on. And year into it, a, a year after praying this way, I realized, oh my gosh, we're still here. We've eaten. We have our house and the lights are still on. He had provided, often in amazing, miraculous ways. We have many, many stories about that. And my prayer changed from give us this day our daily bread for thank you, Lord, for providing. Thank you for providing all these months and all these years. And I still pray that way. And it did wonders for my psyche. Fundamentally, it taught me to trust. I learned that he is trustworthy in this. I love this song that we sang this morning, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Morning by morning, your mercies are new. That has been my gratitude for years. I learned to worry from my mother. If she didn't have something to worry about, she would literally say, I don't have anything to worry about. What can I worry about? 
So I learned that as a, as a thing. And, but Jesus encourages us not to worry. And he says that it does not even add an hour to our lives. And today's medical research says, on the contrary, stress and worry will take away years from your life. And slowly I learned to take it a day at a time, a trust that we would still be there tomorrow. And I can still fall into the worry cycle. As a matter of fact, I spent Monday worrying about a grandchild. But today I'm quicker to turn and say, this too, Lord, you have in your hand. I'm just going to walk through today. The part about forgiving others, that was a rough one. And the prayer says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. It feels, felt like hypocrisy, complete hypocrisy to even say that. I was not forgiving anybody. And I felt like the words were backwards. It's like, forgive us our debts as we forgive those, as if our forgiveness has somehow ushering in God's forgiveness. And there's this part of the scripture right after that that kind of says that, and that was extremely confusing. But commentaries say that those who have been forgiven are apt to forgive God. Talk about heaping gold, coals on my head. I felt completely failing at this. I failed at it profusely. But in time, I realized that, okay, I'm obviously not forgiving, so why not ask God to help me forgive? Help me forgive. Help me forgive these people. Teach me forgiveness. It took a long time, but in time I was able to let go of my anger. And let's face it, forgiveness does not come naturally to any of us. There are people who have the gift of mercy and praise you. My husband tends to be one of those. Um, I'm not. I, every spiritual giftedness testing that I have ever taken, I score zero on mercy and zero on grace, and I would probably go on the negative if, it would, if I could. I have no mercy or no grace gift whatsoever. But I was blessed to have some um, professors really support me at the seminary. Um, they all, everybody knew what had happened, and they came to my side. Um, this was inside our church, so we had to kind of step away from our church. So the seminary became my church, and my professors were amazing at, at supporting me. And one of them said, Tina, you are in spiritual boot camp right now. Your children will learn grace and mercy by watching you do this. And looking back at it, he was right. We had so many conversations, my two children and I, who also were angry. Um, they were 15 and 22 at the time. They were angry, but we had many, many conversations about grace and mercy at the time. And in time, they forgave, and our family is, is back as a whole. And I realized that forgiveness is the one thing that sets us apart from the rest of the world. The rest of the world does not forgive. They still, they live in the eye for an eye mentality, which I really wanted to fall into. Revenge was very, revenge was up there. Um, but we've all heard the stories about concentration camp survivors who forgive their, their torturers and lives change. But it happens on a smaller scale. You can forgive your neighbor. You can forgive your family member and things change. Forgiveness is probably one of the most profound ways to glorify God. I am human. 
my temptation for unforgiveness still creeps up because I am still, still have zero grace and mercy gifts. But praying, help me with my unforgiveness, comes easier and comes faster. And I also realized that, that God's grace covers my bouts of unforgiveness. It is not the unpardonable sin. I can apologize and I can confess my unforgiveness and he forgives. The unforgiveness was and wanting the eye for an eye and wanting revenge was definitely my greatest temptation during this time. And the next verse in our prayer says, lead us not into temptation. And it's a tough concept as we all know that God will not tempt us. Scripture says that. So what does this really mean? What does it mean to ask, do not, not lead, do not lead us into temptation? Was Jesus possibly remembering the time that he was led into the Judean desert to be tempted? Um, a little another side note on this one. I, um, I, I really had the amazing privilege to go to, to Israel 10 years ago. And we, we went through the Judean wilderness. And it's literally like around the corner from Jerusalem. It is not that far. It's a half a day's walk, if that. So Jesus could have aborted any time. The amazing willpower it took him to stay there for 40 days. I mean, it's, it's halfway between Jericho and Jerusalem. He could have gone to Jericho. He could have gone to Jerusalem. But he stayed there for 40 days. That always amazes me. I digress. It, it was one of the biggest um, memories I have of that trip. But anyway, um, I don't know if he was thinking of that time when he said, and lead us not into temptation. But Paul encouraged the Corinthians that no temptation, and in, in Matthew's gospel and in Corinthians, the tem word temptation can be changed to testing, temptation or testing, no temptation or testing has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And in my agony, I have really may wanted to disagree with this statement. Uh, this temptation and this testing was way more that I could bear. But I did know my God well enough to know that if he was going to bring me through this, as I hung on to the hem of his garment, literally, my challenge was not to succumb to temptation of revenge and ill will, but ask, continue to ask him to show me the way to bless my quote-unquote enemies. The last statement in the prayer uh, in Matthew says, and deliver us from evil. Um, this is another one of those ones where sometimes looking at a translation's help because that can also be translated as the evil one, the person of the enemy. And as I sat with this month after month after month, I realized that I had been delivered from evil. I had been delivered from the evil one. We had been delivered from the evil one. The enemy really took a shot at us, big time. And we had been delivered. But I also realized that I had been delivered from the evil one as God had brought me into faith and in, into a salvation. And it was on a grander scale that I could ask him and thank him that we had been delivered from the evil, evil one by the work of Jesus on the, on the cross. 
And today, we are, have no fear of being cast into the outer darkness, as you saw. So whether Jesus advised his disciples to pray this way because what was to come, because it was on that side of the cross, or whether this is something that we can continue to ask and pray, I honestly don't know. But for me, it was both. I, we had been delivered from the evil one, and I had been delivered from the evil one at the point of my salvation. And my prayer changed to del not deliver us from evil, but thank you. Thank you for delivering me. Thank you for delivering us. And thank you for bringing me into your kingdom. God uses what he creates, and he gave me a very curious mind and something of an academic mind. And during the 18 months that I sat on my knees and prayed this prayer, uh, he slowly started to pull me up and bring me back into the word, bring back in my commentaries, bring back my devotionals. And one day, I didn't have to, I, I felt like I was done. I was done praying the Lord's Prayer. Not that I've stopped praying the Lord's Prayer, but, but that phase was done. Lots, lots, lots had changed. And to this day, I remember all those, those things that I learned. And as a matter of fact, for months after that, I do yoga. And um, after our yoga session is over, they ask us to lay down in four minutes. And I would stay there and breathe the Lord's Prayer before my heart, to get my heart to, you know, calm down after a really hard yoga class. Um, it, has, it has still t stayed with me as a model of prayer that I come back to very often. It was the worst time of my life. I never, ever, ever want to go through anything like that. However, I changed. I would not be the same person I am today had I not gone through that. And I have to thank him for that. I do say thank you. Thank you for the testing. Thank you for the pain. And thank you for everything that I learned. So we end our, our services always with this prayer. Um, and I love that because it obviously reminds me of, of all these things. Um, the last statement that we say is, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. That is actually a late addition to scripture. It's, it, most of our Bibles don't even have that anymore. They, um, many people attribute that to uh, Henry VIII, adding that to the King James Version after his wife uh, died uh, in childbirth. Um, be that as it may, it's a very true statement. His is the kingdom. His is the power. Jesus is the king of glory. And may we live that out every day, today and in the coming week. May we remember that as Daniel comes and leads us in um, our sharing of the table this morning. But before we do that, I actually want to close this morning by praying my version of the Lord's Prayer for us today. I didn't put it on the slide, and I'm, Rick, are you using that? Okay, we're going to do it again at the end, but I am going to pray that for us today as we move on. My Father, our Father, who are in heaven, we want to glorify your name today. Show us how to bring in your kingdom to our world today by doing your will in all that we do and say. Lord, thank you for your provision for us as you, you have proven yourself to be faithful in this. Help us to forgive those who trespass against us as you have forgiven us. 
And if we encounter testing or temptation, show us the way out so that even in those situations we can do your will. Thank you for delivering us from the evil one and bringing us into your family. Let our lives show that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen.